Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet. And he entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, that she may get well and live. And Jesus went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. Now a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but had rather grown worse, after hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While Jesus was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. Putting them all out, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and that he, should, and that he said that something should be given to her. To eat.
faith and there is a prevailing faith. There is a, there is a belief and there is a second level of belief. There is a faith that brings us to God in prayer in the first place. We come to God in prayer because we believe. Like Jairus who came in desperation to Jesus, he came because he believed him. He came because his daughter was ill and he was desperate in his faith. And yet there is a, a faith that goes beyond that which brings us to the Lord initially. We pray and we pray because we believe in prayer and we believe that God answers prayer. We ask because we expect an answer. And we get up from our knees expecting to see the results of our prayer. And sometimes, oftentimes, there are no real answers right then. But we tell ourselves, I've trusted God, I'm going to keep on believing. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'll be patient at least 24 hours, maybe 30 days. And if we don't see the answer in that allotted time, so many of us give up and we quit praying and we quit believing and we close the door to opportunity. And so we don't get what we ask for because we don't have prevailing faith. There is a point in every runner's running where he gets his second wind. Now, if this is not physiologically sound, it is at least psychologically sound, that he can reach a point in his running where he just gets a new infusion of strength and stamina. He may think he's going to die before he gets there. And sometimes some people give up, runners give up, before they get their second wind. But if he can ever get beyond that point and get his second wind, he goes on, to finish the race. I guess what I'm talking about this morning is faith's second wind. And oh, what a difference it will make in your prayer life and in the life of our church if somehow we can get beyond the believing that brings us to God, to the prevailing faith. Take Jarius, for example. He came to Jesus. It must have been extremely difficult for him to do that. 
He was the ruler of the synagogue. And at this point in Jesus' life, his ministry was particularly closed to the synagogues. He had healed so many people on the Sabbath. He had made so many Pharisees angry that he was shut out of the synagogue and his ministry there. And so this holy man was out in the countryside preaching this gospel of his. And here comes the board of directors of the synagogue out into the countryside. And there on his knees before Jesus, he lays out his request. I tell you, that was tremendous faith to bring him to Jesus in the first place. But if you'll skip down to verse 36. After the interruption of the woman who was healed with the hemorrhage, after that interruption, Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Don't be afraid any longer, only believe. Now he had already believed. That's why he came to Jesus in the first place. But that word is dynamite, only believe. When you read it in the language of the original text, in the linear construction, it says this, Don't be afraid any longer. Keep on believing. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why there is such a dearth of miracles in the church and why so many of us have never seen answered prayer is because we have not kept on believing. Here's a small group within the church praying for revival. They've agonized and wrestled before God for revival. They really believe in it, in prayer. They trust God for revival. It's time for the protracted meeting to take place. They're bringing in one of the best preachers in the, country, in the denomination. They just know that this is the time God's going to pour out His Spirit and revive the church. They prayed for that and they believed. And the week is a disaster. Nothing really happens. No miracles from God. And so they, in their discouragement, say to themselves, why keep on praying? God is not hearing. No revival is coming. And they close the door to opportunity. Or here's someone praying for God's guidance, praying for light. They're honestly seeking the leadership of God in a particular matter and trusting Him for it. And they just know they have the assurance of leadership and they start out in this direction and the door is closed. They've asked for wisdom, they've believed, and no answer has come. And so they quit believing and they close the door of opportunity. I wonder today how many of us would have seen answered prayer if we had just prayed one more day. If, there anyone here this, if there's anyone here this morning who has had some problems with no answer to prayer, if there are those this morning who have closed the door to opportunity, who have not been able to keep on believing, this sermon is dedicated to you. Jesus said, keep on believing. Keep on believing in the face of God's delay. Now I want you to construct this picture in your mind if you haven't already. This little entourage of people, Jairus and maybe one or two others, coming to Jesus in desperation. His child is dying. I can see him coming into the presence of our Lord with, with, exhaust, with exhaustion, his, with, with sharpness of breath. He's been running. 
And so he pants and says to Jesus, I want you to come quickly, Lord. You are my last hope. My daughter's dying. Won't you come? And so Jesus starts off immediately to help him. And they are moving as fast as they can go. And I can hear Jairus saying, Oh, please hurry. I don't know whether it's too late or not. My child is dying. And I don't know whether I can live without her. We don't have much time. And they're going as fast as they can. Up ahead of them is a crowd of people, a multitude. And as they get into that multitude of people, they just engulf them. And the Scripture says that there was such a press that they were just struggling against one another. It was a mob. So the progress to the answer to Jairus' request was hindered. The movement was impaired. And Jairus is out on the edge of the crowd. And all of a sudden there's a woman touches his garment and Jesus stops dead still so that the movement toward the answer to Jairus' request comes to a grinding halt. It's a beautiful story indeed as Jesus heals this woman with an issue of blood. But what about Jairus? He's out on the outside of the crowd and he's wringing his hands in desperation and he's pacing up and down. And that nervous knot in the pit of his stomach has grown to the size of his hand. And I can hear his mind as he's thinking. He resents the intrusion. He resents the interruption, and that interruption grows to anger. And he says, why well, I was here first. My request was before hers. My daughter's dying. She's been sick for 12 years. She can wait another day. I may not have another day to wait. Why, don't he, why doesn't he hurry up? Does God sometimes just kind of put you on hold? And while He kind of puts you on hold, He just, you know, is just so active redemptively in the lives of others. While He has you on hold, He's just answering the prayers of everybody around you. And you kind of resent it, don't you? Just before I moved from Seminole, a young lady came into my office. Her husband had left her. And she'd been praying for God to bring him back and restore their relationship, just like we've prayed this morning. And she said, I honestly, I really do believe that God is going to bring him back and give him back and our marriage is going to be restored. I'm just, I just really believe that. But she said, you know, the thing that really bothers me is that while I'm waiting for God to answer my prayer, all my friends are bragging about what God's doing in their lives. They're telling me how God is just answering one prayer after another. And they're telling me how God is just at work in their lives. And she said, Gerald, I'm having a hard time keeping from resenting that. I want you to notice what happened in this beautiful story. Look at that. The woman with an issue of blood had that issue of blood for 12 years, the exact age of Jairus' daughter. And if you'll look down to verse 34, when Jesus healed her, he reached down and picked up her hand and said, Little child, arise. And it was Jairus' Jairus daughter who was sick. I tell you, what Jesus did that day in that interruption was as much for Jairus as it was for the woman. If God puts you on hold and all the time He's at work in somebody else's life, you just keep your eyes on what God is doing in their lives for that's His assurance that He can provide for your needs. Why is it true that God sometimes delays the answer? I really don't know, but I have a suspicion that it might be because sometimes He wants to give us something better. 
Jairus prayed for a healing. God gave her a resurrection. Sometimes he delays in order to give us something better. Who was the preacher telling about the time that he went into the um, White's Auto Store and he saw these little handlebar grips with the, with the plastic streamers, you know, that, and he needed some handlebar grips for his bicycle so bad? So he began to beg his daddy for some of those handlebar grips. And his daddy said, no, I'm not going to get you those handlebar grips. I, oh, he said, Daddy, I've just got to have those prettiest things I've ever seen. I need some for my bike. And the father said, I'm not going to buy you those handlebar grips. He said, I got some money saved up. I'll spend my own money for them. But the father refused. And so the boy went outside, sat down in the car, and pouted about it. He was just angry. His father wouldn't let him spend his own money for those handlebar grips. The next day was the little boy's birthday, and while he was playing around in the house, his father came in with a brand new shiny bike. And the reason why he wouldn't give him the handlebar grips to go on the old bike is because he wanted to give him something better. And sometimes God delays his answer to our prayers because we're not in a fit state to receive the answer. It may be that God has something yet to work in us, some lesson yet to teach us. We're not really equipped to receive the answer that we think we need. That peach orchard that was out behind our house where I was a boy growing up was my favorite place in the summertime. Man, I love peaches. And I just couldn't wait for those peaches to get ripe. I'd eat them green, you know, if I could, uh, if they just had the slightest color on them, just the slightest touch of softness, I'd start eating them. One day I just ate a handful of green peaches. I was so, so sick. And my mother had me down rubbing on my stomach to give me a little relief, and she kind of patted it and said, that little thing, now it was little back then. She said, <laughs> she, she patted my stomach and she said, this little stomach was not designed for green peaches. Men would pluck their mercies green, but God would have them ripe. It might be that we're just not designed at this point in time to receive the answer God has for us. He has a little bit of work left to do in perfecting us and refining us for the answer. So keep on believing in the face of God's delay. Keep on believing when there is no reason to believe. Now when they came from Jairus' house, they came into the presence, these men from Jairus' house came into the presence of Jesus and the entourage to break the news, it's too late. Your daughter's dead, why trouble the teacher any longer, they said. It's no use to go on any further with this request, it's too late, there's no hope. Every flicker of hope is gone, Every straw that you are clinging to is gone. The child is dead. It's too late. There's no reason to go on believing any longer. Have you ever been there? Of course you have. Haven't you? This means yes. That means no. You've been there, haven't you? You've been in the position where you know that it's humanly impossible to get the answer you want. You've been there, haven't you? You've been in the position that 
Jairus is, is in, where every reason to go on believing is gone. She's dead. It's too late. There is no reason left to go on trusting. Yes, there is. There's one reason. And the one reason to keep on believing was the promise of Jesus. Now, if you ever get in a position, if you ever get in the place where the only reason you have to believe is the Word of God, that's more than reason enough. Now, I don't want to wear out this illustration, but Abraham is a perfect example of it. If you think your husband does wild and foolish things, you just ought to have been Sarah. One day he came in and said, Honey, um, the U-Haul is out front and we're moving. And she said, We're moving. Yes, we're moving. And she said, Where are we going? He said, I don't know. You don't know. What are we going to do when we get to where we don't know we're going? She said, he said, I don't know what we're going to do. Why are we moving? He said, because God said so. And one day he came in and he said, Honey, you know all that land that we've claimed that stretches down toward the Jordan, that beautiful, prosperous, rich land? You remember that, don't you? She said, Yes. I gave it away to, to our nephew. You gave it away. Why did you give that land away? Because God said so. And one day he came in, Sarah now was 90, and Abraham was 100. Now it's just getting bigger, and he says, Honey, you're going to have a baby. Sure I am. It's the only time in history where the man, the husband, had to tell the wife that she was pregnant. And, he, and she said, I'm going to have... Now Abraham, I've put up with this, all this other, but now that's not humanly possible. Why is it that you believe I'm going to have a baby? Because God said so. I want you to listen to this. Oh, what a word is found over in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. Listen to this. For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Man, I like that. In hope, listen to verse 18, in hope against hope he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. He said, now wait a minute, I'm a hundred years old. Now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's room, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had been promised he was able to perform. I like the J.B. Phillips translation of that. Abraham, when hope died within him, hoped in faith. 
And I like the living Bible translation of it. It has it like this. And, God, and Abraham, when God told him he would have a son, kept on believing even though he knew that promise would never come to pass. When every reason to go on believing is gone, keep on believing. Finally, keep on believing when nobody else does. Now they came to Jairus and they said, Friend, it's too late. Don't even bother with bringing Jesus. And when they got to the house where his daughter was dead, already dead, they had the hired mourners there and they were weeping and wailing. And Jesus said, Why are you folks sad? This little girl is not dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed him to scorn, says the King James. Sure didn't get much help at home, did he? Sure didn't have much encouragement to faith, did he? In order for Jairus to believe, he had to believe alone. In order for him to stand in faith, he had to stand alone. Now it's a little easier when everybody in your world is encouraging you to believe, but when nobody else believes, and you believe, that's prevailing. That's faith's second wind. There may come times, young people, it may be, it may begin Thursday, when to believe means you stand all alone. I had a preacher friend tell me one time, said, Pat, said, Gerald, there came a time in my ministry where I had to stand all alone in my faith. It was the most difficult day of my life. They found their bodies lying by the little river in the jungles of Ecuador. And the five missionaries who went into those jungles with the burning desire to see the Alka Indians converted to Christianity gave up their lives in martyrdom. The wives of two of those men, Betty Elliott, who was the wife of Jim Elliott, and the wife of Nate Saint, later went back to those tribes of people took their children into the jungle villages of the very people that murdered their husbands and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and led them to a knowledge of Christ. Betty Elliot married one of them. Years before she ever met Jim Elliot and before the experience of his martyrdom, she wrote a little poem that expressed the commitment of her faith in God. Perhaps some future day, Lord, thy strong hand will lead me to a place where I must stand utterly alone. Alone, O gracious lover, but for thee. I shall be satisfied if I can see Jesus only. I do not know thy plan for years to come, 
But my spirit has found in thee its perfect home, sufficiency. All my desires are before thee now. Lead on no matter where, no matter how. I trust in thee. There may come a time where your faith requires you to stand alone. Keep on believing. Did you notice that text? Are you still with me? Did you notice the truth of this statement? Listen to this. He took only those of His inner circle with Him. And the Scripture says that when He got there, He put everybody else out except the inner circle and the mother and the father. For listen to me. Those who do not keep on believing miss out on the big things that God is doing. I want you to hear this. Only those who keep on believing are allowed into the secret places where God is doing His greatest work. This story that I'm through. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I think it is. I heard it. It's true whether it happened or not. True story. Beethoven heard that in a little monastery there was a magnificent organ. He wanted to see it. In fact, he wanted to play it. And so Beethoven and a group of people started out on foot to the little monastery several miles away. He arrived late. The sun was already setting when he knocked on the monastery door. The abbey came. The abbot came. Yes, what do you need? He said, not identifying himself. He said, I hear that you have a magnificent organ here. That's true. I'd like to see it. I'm sorry, sir, but we're closed. The, the monastery is closed for the day. Oh, but sir, we've traveled a long distance. It's further than we thought. It's later than we anticipated. Would you just let us see it for a moment? The abbot thought for a while. He was disgusted at the whole thing. But he, he yielded. And so they climbed the steps in the monastery chapel to where the organ was. And when they opened the door and Beethoven saw it, his eyes nearly popped out of his head. It was a, it was a classic. It was a masterpiece. May I play it, sir? No one is allowed to play that organ but the organ master. Oh, please, sir, please let me play just one time. And he thought, well, go ahead. And when his hands touched the keys of that organ, it was like heaven opened up. It was like angels came out of it. That abbot had never heard such a sound in all of his life. He stood there enthralled by it. And Beethoven played and he played and there was deathly silence. When he finished and started to leave, he said, Sir, my name is Ludwig von Beethoven. And he stuck out his hand. The man was just in shock. Beethoven left 
the man was standing at the top of the stairs saying, just think, the master was here today and I almost did not let him play. And he could do no mighty work in Nazareth because they did not keep on believing. Would you bow your heads with me? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Will you trust Him this morning? The Master is here. What a tragedy if you did not let Him have your life. Some of you may need to trust Him for first-time salvation experience, some for transfer of membership, some for rededication of life. After we've prayed, we'll sing two stanzas. So if you're coming, you come on the first. Father, you're in our midst and we sense your presence and such power. You've persuaded us, Father, that your will is right. Now give us courage to respond obediently and faithfully. And I pray that when this last word is sung in the invitation, that each one can say, the Master was here, and I've met him, and it is good. Grant your perfect will to be done right now in Jesus' name.